Northern Seminary, in partnership with Missio Alliance, this is Theology on Mission, the podcast exploring God and integrating faith and life. Here are your hosts, Jeff Holsclaw and David Fitch. Welcome to another episode of Theology on Mission. We're so glad you're here. We're doing some more summer episodes, special episodes. We got joining with us again, Scott Kent Jones. Say hi, Scott. Some, some, summertime, some. I love summer, dude. There we go. Summer, summer. I, I saw people like posting like, oh my gosh, yeah, we need fall to come. I hate that. Like I like, I love spring and summer. Days getting longer. What, like, you know, when I hit like mid-autumn, I'm like, Game of Thrones, <laughs> the eternal winter. Yeah, here in Chicago, we get quite the winter, too. But it's the summer. We have summer episodes now. Dave Fitch is back in town. And next week, Dave and I are going to be sitting down. We're going to be rolling out kind of another couple shorter episodes for the summer. But there's big changes coming for all of you uh, faithful theology and mission uh, listeners. Uh, big changes for our second season. We're going to add a couple things. We're going to do some things differently, hopefully. So be uh Stay tuned for that. Don't miss any of our new episodes when they start coming out, uh, hopefully in September. So be sure to subscribe to Theology and Mission on iTunes or wherever you get your preferred podcasts. And please write a review or rate us on iTunes. That help gets the word out. One more announcement, if I could be so bold. Uh, Northern Seminary, uh, last couple months, has been rolling out a new program, Northern Live Streaming Seminary to you. We're doing a virtual open house. So if you're all over the country, even all over the world, and you're like, I really could use a little uh, theological education, some training to bolster kind of the work and my understanding of scripture and God's mission in the world, I could use that. Well, now geography is no longer an obstacle. Northern Live is streaming seminary to you. And on August 16th, about a week and a half from now, we're doing a virtual open house at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. So if you want to check that out, go to seminary.edu slash live, and you should find the details there for the open house and the details for the program. Again, that's seminary.edu slash live for more details. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, a little announcement time. What are we talking about today? Today we're when talking you, about... Oh, Can, we, can, we, can we, we just go back to the announcements for just a second? Oh, you want to go back to the announcements? Yeah, this two, is the first. two questions. Okay. Like, A, why shorter for the summer? Like, is the devil taking summers off? Does he shorten his hours? Do you think the forces of darkness are like, oh my gosh, so it's time to go to uh, Demon Nantucket? I mean, we, you know, come on. Dude, it's because I'm spending all my time watching Mr. Robot episodes, okay? This is my favorite. I have not started season Oh my season. gosh. Mr. Robot Se- is fantastic. So, you know, second there's question, vacations, second there's other things. We're just busy, so we're taking a little time. And it's a tease thing for all of you listeners. We're really just trying to build up your anticipation for season two. All right, all right what's I'm your second that. Um, okay. Second, is how virtual, like how open house is the virtual open house? Like, is it just like people talking or like, do you, are you running around with a GoPro? Like, here's the cafeteria. Here's the lady. <laughs> here's the men's room. Like, you know, here's the library. Like how much, what am I really seeing on the virtual open house? Uh, the virtual open house is going to be the exact classroom experience where we have a bunch of different cameras. We have microphones. There's an, it's a very interactive participatory experience. We're going to be people in person, people remote. There's like the whole point of our, it's not online classes, like where you just do dialogue boxes and you're doing online assignments and you're cut and pasting text and things like that. But it's actually your part of in in 
real-time part of the classroom environment as a professor's teaching. It's not canned material from five years ago. It's what people are teaching right now, and you get to interact, and so you'll kind of experience that in the live open house. So thank you for that clarification. Scott. Do a lot of, I, I've never heard of, do a lot of seminaries do that. Cause I've not heard. That's cool. I've no, not heard this of seminary. Is kind of where we're on the, the cutting edge of this. There is a movement, uh, toward what's called synchronous educational experiences, which is neither online nor in person. It's kind of the synchronous remote stuff. So Northern is one of the few, uh, seminaries that I know of, uh, that are kind of doing this. I know there are other ones too. You're so with it. You have the oh, vocabulary the best, too, man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There we go. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about the three Jesuses and his mission or rather three kinds of Jesus. I wrote down a snappy title, but now I lost it. So the three kinds of Jesus. So we're talking about Christology. We're talking about the person and work of Christ. How does who Christ is relate to what Christ does? The person of Christ, God, human, or something in between, and his work of salvation and things like that. So uh, we're kind of riffing off of this great article by George Hunsinger, uh, which talks about uh, low Christologies, um, what he calls middle Christologies, and then high Christologies. And so we're going to kind of unpack this uh, and talk about how this affects ministry, maybe preaching or evangelism or mission and things like that. How our view of who Christ is kind of affects how we engage in the mission. So, but Scott, you got a, a snappy way of kind of thinking about this. So why don't you, uh, why don't you unpack what a low, middle or high Christology might look like? Well, one of the things I love about summer, I mean, I like the beach. I like the weather. I love everything about it. But we get a lot of good blockbusters, and we are in the golden age of comic book film movies. I mean, it's just amazing. Daredevil, you know, for example, unbelievable. But the show I or think, the movie? Uh, the show. Okay, I, I, I'm sort totally of agreed. fusing. I almost fuse like uh, Netflix and Amazon serial dramas as films. I mean, they feel like you know they're shot like movies, and everything. but. I think that like you think about superheroes and I think there are th- roughly three kinds. There are superheroes that are really just ninjas. Like Batman is kind of just a ninja. Captain America, even though he was injected with a super soldier formula, he's still like just basically strong and agile and tough as a human being can be. Daredevil, even though he's blind, has the radar. He's still just kind of like a ninja. So basically Daredevil if you're trying to take down a street gang or, you know, take down another, a, a, a villain that's, you know, got some relative, you know, nefarious tendencies, but isn't like, can't like move stuff with their mind like, or, you know, control magnets like Magneto, then Daredevil or even Batman, you know, will, will do you just fine. Then I think, but you know, the problem is if, if the, if the Golden Gate Bridge is collapsing, that's a struggle for Daredevil or Batman. Right. Now right. I think there's there's another kind of hero I would say that is more powerful than your average human, but still like so they can beat a tougher sort of supervillain than Daredevil or Batman or Captain America could beat. Like you know Spider Man, who's actually genetically modified, different than humans. I'd put Iron Man in this category because even though he's a normal human, when he has that armor on. He can help you in a catastrophe. He could, you know, a crashing plane, he could lift it up and gently land it, place it on the runway. But even Spider-Man and Iron Man on major catastrophes will be limited. 
Now, I think the hero that basically, really, it's it's just it's it, it's kind of it's silly that there's even a team that includes him because Superman, right? You you have to make something right. like Kryptonite to make it interesting because Superman is basically, you know, he's the guy that has all the powers. You know, the only reason anybody else is if there's Kryptonite. Functionally, he can be any villain. He can stop any or save people from any catastrophe. Lois Lane dies. He's, you know, circles around the world, turns time back. I mean, Superman basically is the full package. So I think that, like, you know, the, the way the heroes are and their powers relate to the kind of stories that you tell about them and the kind of things they overcome. Likewise with Christology. I think that, you're like, if you have a kind of low Christology, uh, you're more like Daredevil or Batman. Jesus is a really exemplar human. Get a middle Christology, you're more like maybe a Spider-Man or a Cyclops or a an Iron Man. If you've got a high Christology, you're Superman, and 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 who you are and your powers can basically rescue any human being from any predicament in which they find themselves. So we have high, middle, and low. Uh, Christologies, and you're mapping them onto these superheroes, and some of them we could imitate, right? If we uh, if we train hard enough, if we practice enough, if we come up with enough gadgets, then we could be like Daredevil, maybe, or like Batman or something like that. So we could actually imitate them. Now, if uh, by the way, the best thing in Batman is in the Dark Knight, where there's there's all those Batman. There are lookalike Batmans that, that come, and they're being vigilantes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, in the Dark well, What's the difference in you and me? I'm not wearing hockey pants. <laughs> I love that. So the, the middle Christologies are kind of like uh, maybe something we could aspire to, but we can't quite imitate. And the the, the high Christologies, the Superman Christology, is uh, is something we could never imitate. We could we could never uh, practice any of those things. You have to be from Krypton, dude. Yeah, that's right. So uh, so George Hunz- Hunzinger, he kind of talks about uh, how the first one. Uh, ends up when it comes to uh, Christologies, they end up being very naturalistic. And so a low Christology is really just bare humanity, which has, um, you know, an ethical impulse. Jesus is now giving us ethical teachings that we could all in principle do, uh, and we could all imitate them. Uh, what he calls the middle Christologies are maybe kind of a little bit more spiritual. So it's a spiritualized Christology. It's not merely naturalistic, but it's spiritual. Um, and so then that's kind of like the religious sense. And then the high Christologies are the full on divinity of which we can never actually imitate. It's Jesus is totally unique. And so there's no participation. in. I think some interesting things is, well, how does the Holy spirit fit into these kind of Christologies? Uh, I think in low Christologies, there's no Holy spirit. Uh, it's kind of like, well, we and Jesus, we're all kind of just doing this. We're trying to live by these ethical principles. We're trying to save the world. We're trying to be just or loving or merciful or something like that. Then, uh, yeah, I think in low Christologies, the difference between us and Jesus is not qualitative. It's, it's quantitative. Right. So like Jesus, maybe he's a, maybe he's a perfect 10. When I lived in Pittsburgh, dude, nobody worked out. And like, you know, people didn't eat that healthy. I was like a Pittsburgh tent. Nobody like, worked know, out. When I, when I visited San Diego for the first time, I was like, I'm hideous. I'm like a San Diego too. But Jesus is like a tent. Like, but it, it's not a quantitative difference that makes it functionally qualitative. Like we could really get there. Right. And there's a the possibility to get there. I think in the middle Christology, it's still kind of quantitative, but it's a quantitative that functionally adds up to a qualitative. Well, but if we get like the Holy Spirit jolt, 
you know, or if we get the serum for Spider-Man, then we could, you know, in principle be like Jesus. And so if we just had the spirit the way Jesus did, if we just had the relationship with the father like Jesus did, if we just had the suit of armor the way Iron Man did, well, then we could do it also, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think though, just the way people imagine it's it. It's humanity plus something. Yeah, and usually at least it's a little further off on the aspirational horizon than below. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the high Christology is like, well, you, no one can be like Superman because you're Superman. He's from Krypton and no one else is from Krypton. So there's no way of imitating or participating or living into that. And I think that has practical consequences. I think a lot of... By the way, why was, when somebody has kryptonite, don't they just stop and sort of <laughs> try to replicate it? Like, just like, hey, I'm going to spend 20 hours a week as a supervillain. Like, I'm 20 hours a week, I'm, you know, pillaging and stealing and terrorizing. But I'm going to block schedule at least 20 hours a week to do kryptonite Research, production, stockpiling, weaponizing. Like, I would just think in a world where Superman is, that's what you would like. You didn't budget. watch Superman versus Batman? This is what he does. Yeah, but I think I would All do more right. of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would do more of that. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, like I'm just saying, I think like it would be my raison d'être, as they say. Well, uh, our next episode could be uh, how to be a supervillain and what that might mean. What that might mean. Oh, I didn't turn my cell phone off. This is bad. Bad for Jeff. Bad Jeff podcasting. I forgot that. Editing. Silence my. <clears throat> forgot to silence my phone <laughs> so so when it comes to uh um these christologies so i think a lot of times for high christology people which kind of come from uh kind of my world or the reformed world oftentimes uh jesus is so unique so utterly unrepeatable and his salvation is something that uh, we don't participate in we just receive that it becomes very distancing so jesus is very distant from us he's very different from us and so we always have to maximize the divinity maximize the uniqueness and i think a lot of people tell me what you think have kind of moved the other way to like a low not formally a low christology but in practice it's a low christology it's like oh no jesus he teaches us how to live uh, his ethical model is something we can emulate. And really, Jesus teaches us how to be humans. Uh, he doesn't just teach us what divinity is. He teaches us what humanity is. And our preaching and even our teaching is totally swung over the other way to making Jesus an ethical figure. Even if, in principle, we hold a high Christology, I think a lot of our preaching and teaching may, even in the, maybe even in the, uh, in the missional church or other kind of uh, church movements, uh, it comes at just the... The ethical or maybe the spiritual, if we had enough Holy Spirit, this may be the charismatic or uh, Pentecostal. If we had enough of the Holy Spirit, then we'd be like Jesus also. And, and maybe there's kind of this overreaction. How, how can we hold maybe these three Christologies together a little bit better? Well, it's interesting. When I recently heard a sermon that kind of was the inspiration for our conversation. And it was preached by someone who it, it would confess a high view of Christ's person, this this person would be, you know, would believe in the Nicene Creed and the Chalcedonian formula. So, you know, Jesus is one being with the Father. He's fully human, fully divine. He, he has a high, Christal, or high understanding of Christ's person. But the sermon didn't reflect that. Jesus wasn't mentioned much. God wasn't mentioned much. But our responsibilities to kind of live a better, more intentional and reflective life were mentioned again and again, like, and, and, and there was not a sense in which, Hey, you know, I feel like on some level when Jesus is preaching the sermon on the Mount, right. He's saying, look, keeping the law isn't good enough. Cause if you keep it with 
flawed intentions, you're just as guilty as someone that violates it. You know, you know, if you're angry, you're just as guilty because of your disposition as the person that acts on the anger and, and does something hurtful to another person. So that was sort of like, not at all. Like, you know, talked about we, it, like we were just really capable. We, it wasn't a sermon that was rooted in good news. It was good advice and maybe not very positive advice, but at least good, you know, like here's how to retool your life. And so again, this guy would not view Jesus as just an example. He would view Jesus as fully human, fully divine. And yet when he got, when he got around to the work of Jesus, there wasn't much mention of it at all. Actually, there was no mention of it at all, actually. So this is where there's a disconnect. I, I, I tend to think we think, okay, it's the people with low Christologies and the middle Christologies that actually have, you know, uh, minimal or flawed views of Christ as Redeemer. I actually think that a lot of people, you know, I I've have friends that were raised in very conservative evangelical backgrounds where they would say Jesus is unique, son of God, fully divine, fully human. But basically he, just, he doesn't accomplish salvation. He just accomplishes the possibility. You know, he, he, he gives you a ticket into, you know, the salvation theme park or the salvation maze, which you kind of got to get out of yourself. I mean, he does something. There's grace there, but it's not, it's not a, a finished thing. It's not something that, that uh, he accomplishes a possibility, not the thing in itself. So I think like, to me, that is one of the major pitfalls that I see very often is people that would say, oh, we're not, I don't have like, you know, one of those low Christologies like these liberals or these heretics. But actually, you, you could have a, a high view of Christ's person and a low view of his work, like, for instance, Pelagius. Right, right. And so, I, you know, and as I've been thinking through this, I was like, oh, how does my preaching fit in with this? I think formally I'm often trying to integrate the the divinity and the humanity of Christ. Uh, but a lot of my preaching is toward imitation of Christ and his ethical or spiritual kind of dimensions. And my preaching isn't always geared toward the finished, accomplished uh, and guaranteed work of Christ. Uh, and so, so a lot of like my uh, preaching and teaching is kind of like, now let's join Jesus in what he created as possible rather than it being, well, this is the finished work of Christ that we can rest in. Um, and so there's there's that tension between those two things. And in one sense, I think we should be preaching all those things all together. There's an ethical dimension, a spiritual dimension, and there's even like a doxological dimension in the sense that the high Christology should lead us to worship and praise. Um, in one sense, not an imitation of Christ, but uh, just in praise. Uh, well, I think participation, like imitation flows from participation. So like, I think, for instance, I think that, most religion, and actually any ideology, is generally imperative indicative, right? Do this, believe this, meditate like this, embrace this ideology, and you'll get this. Well, the gospel is the opposite. It's indicative imperative. It's not imperative indicative. You know, an indicative statement notes how things are. So like 2 Corinthians 5, you know, anyone that's in Christ is a new creation. You know, and then the, you know, the, the ministry of bearing witness to that reconciliation flows from, it's not imperative indicative. If you go be a witness to this reconciliation, then you're a new creation. It's the imperative flows from the indicative. And so I think that you know, Tim Keller in a preaching module, which is like floating out there in the PDF interwebs, which you can find if you Google Tim Keller, demon, but he says, you know, anytime that he comes up with an imperative in scripture, and this is going to sound formulaic and maybe simplistic and people will probably push back on that, which is fine. Yeah. But 
So, you know, I, I ask a couple of things. Say, what is this te- text asking me of me? Why can't I do it? Because I'm a broken, fallen, faltering, fragile human being. Uh, how does how does Christ fulfill it? And how can he do it in and through me? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that sort of, it doesn't, so you could start with imperatives. Say, hey, we're called to not be greedy. But here's the problem. If we just say, don't be greedy, you know, what's the, how that's has never worked <laughs> for centuries. But what, when does the ability to gently let go of things, which you're sensing a false sense of security is when you see the beauty of the riches of Christ, the one who was rich and became poor for our sake. Mm-hmm. Or you could start with the indicative, you know, like here's the beauty of the one who was rich, but became for, poor for our sake. And what does it look like when that utterly gracious unilateral one way love envelops you? Well, it probably looks like this on the ground. You know, you're, you're a little less anxious about having all this stuff because you're, because one love replaces another. Right. Right. No, I think that's really good. Uh, uh, as we think of these low middle and high Christologies, uh, with their, in a sense, view of the person, there's always, as you've been saying, a link to the work. And so when I think of this, like, uh, if we were to kind of roll this forward, like, well, what kind of mission comes out of a low Christology? What kind of mission comes out of a high Christology? Uh, and these shouldn't be mutually exclusive. We've kind of been talking as if these were exclusive things, but I don't think they are. I think they're supposed to be integrated. So like a low Christology em- emphasizes kind of the, the bare humanity of Jesus. Uh, what kind of mission rolls out of that? Well, it's usually some sort of uh, uh, an imperative live, live the life of Jesus, uh, in pursuing love, justice, and mercy of God. Right. So we're told to like, we need to love, we need to seek justice and mercy the way Jesus did. Uh, and we can all in principle do that. Like a middle Christology, um, is more focused on the spiritual life. And so the kind of the mission that comes out of that is live the spiritual life the way Jesus did, which means seek the Holy spirit or something like that, or maybe religious asceticism, you know, for all of you who, you know, like the spiritual disciplines or something like that, rather than the charismatic Pentecostal experience. Uh, and so there's kind of this spiritual life that kind of flows out of it, but then, uh, which are both pretty active. I think it flips on the high Christology though, is, well, what kind of mission are we supposed to live into in, uh, because of Jesus's work, personal work. And it's usually tell about this person and tell about the work that he does, all of which I think are true. These are all kind of like aspects of discipleship that we should be pursuing in mission. But I think too often they kind of get splintered or played off of each other. Like, oh, the people who are talking about the humanity of Jesus, they're uh, they're in denial about the atonement or they don't believe in the divinity of God. And they're just trying to anthropomorphize all these things. And then the flip side, people who emphasize a high Christology, they're criticized for having no basis in humanity and lacking solidarity and not caring about justice. Um, and those sometimes can be unfair, but sometimes uh, they can be kind of true. Sometimes they fit. Yeah, I think I think of this like analogously to like the, the relationship of the conscious and the subconscious, right? Like your subconscious has access to all your conscious mind, right? Which is why you dream about things sometimes that happen to you during your day or some altered version of them. But your conscious mind doesn't have access to everything in the subconscious. It's it's not a two way street. I think that. You could have a high Christology and be reductionist or miss the full riches of the beauty of the gospel in Christ. But yes. you can't, but theoretically, you know, you, you have access to everything on the low and the middle. You have access to, to 
ethical portraits and examples and inspiration. You have access to spirituality and you have the finished work of Christ, but it doesn't work the other way around. If you have a low Christology, you only have, you only have access to the ethical things. If you have a middle, you have access to the ethical and some spirituality, but not to a sense of cosmic and accomplished redemption. But, you know, so it, it, so you can reach on Christology from the top down, but you can't reach from the bottom up. Right. And so in that sense, uh, I usually don't like uh, the, the uh, kind of juxtaposition between high and low Christologies because I feel like, well, for Jesus, it's just both, right? But what you're saying, and I think you're right, is, well, you can't have both unless you have a high Christology. Uh, yeah, the, the, the high Christology includes a high view, not just a person, but a high view of his work. It includes his exaltation and his death and God abandonment. It, like it holds it all together. It holds together, the, you know, the, 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 the highest points of divinity and the lowest po- points of abasement. But like the other Christologies can't do that. Right, right. Excellent. So low, middle, high Christologies, views of the person of Christ, views of the work of Christ. Uh, are we leading them all together as a, a podcast on theology and mission? We're trying to always think about, well, how does what we believe about God and who he is and what he's done relate to how we live as people? And so can we uh, figure out how to integrate all these different kinds of things in our teaching and our preaching and in our discipleship? And so some of the questions I'd throw out to our listeners and to even myself is does our discipleship kind of function on just one of these planes, uh, high, middle, or low, where the low focuses maybe just on the ethical uh, imitation of Christ or maybe following his commands. The middle is usually focusing on some sort of spiritual life, empowered life, or ascetic spiritual disciplines, or the high is some sort of celebration of the uniqueness of Christ. Um, where do we do those things in uh, church? Where do we do those things in our teaching? And are we lopsided? Or are we integrating those things? Um, and like you were saying, Scott, uh, have we kind of uh, lost the ability, the ability to integrate them? Do we have a high formal or explicit Christology, but our teaching is always low or middle or something like that? So these are all things to think of. Uh, any last thoughts that are bouncing around your brain there, Scott? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I was a guest on a podcast a couple months ago called the My Big Jesus Podcast. And I've heard our mutual friend Mike Hollenbach use that phrase, like, how big is your Jesus? And I've heard Mike give this great talk where he talks about how, like, you know, there's this approach a lot of evangelicals have to, it's called, you know, the Ordo Salutis, you know, the order of salvation where, okay, first there's, you know, regeneration and then, you know, you're born again and then there's justification and then there's sanctification, you know, you get more holy or whatever. And then glorification at the end, you know, you're finally redeemed fully. And so, you know, what if we thought of it less of like that kind of thing and more of like in a union with Christ model where like, what is your, Oh, it, you know, is it, you know, am I, is my, is my issue like uh, overcoming, guilt, well, then I need the Christ, the judge, judge in our place. Is it, I need, I'm, I'm, I've been victimized and I have some guilt, but, but before the thing is more like, I can't get over the story that colors my life as a victim. And then there's the, the, anyone that's in Christ is a new creation. So there's like, I mean, I think looking at Jesus and all the stories and metaphors and, ways in which in the new testament witness and beyond he speaks to the universal predicament of the human condition like we can trust that and you can only trust this with a high view of his person and his work that somehow as we listen in and see where christ is already ahead of us in mission christ playing in a thousand places 
that we can trust with confidence that we don't have to tell everybody some script for their predicament, but that somehow the, 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 the huge Jesus, <laughs> the Redeemer, somehow within him, the totus Christus in the whole Christ is the solution and healing that hurting people seek. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think when we can, uh, you know, have a high Christology that, that gathers together the whole Christ and all of humanity, then we have more answers at our disposal, uh, by which to proclaim, uh, Christ as our savior, claim Christ as the Lord, but also Christ as the new Adam, uh, who is the giver of the spirit and things like that. And so we can be fully human, but not merely human. Uh, we can be filled by the Spirit, and we can be even like God. Well, thanks for jumping in, Scott. Scott Jones is the uh, co, or the rather, the host of the Mocking a Cast, uh, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. So please all check that out, uh, as well as he co-hosts the New Persuasive Words podcast, amongst doing a bunch of other things. Thanks again for being on, Scott, and uh, we'll talk to all of you uh, soon. Uh, Dave and I will be sitting down for something uh, in the next couple of days and that'll be coming out and uh, yeah we hope to see you all on the interwebs take it easy thanks for being with us Scott always a pleasure excellent over and out <laughs>